We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Barca Blog Podcast. Whether you came back after week one or just joining us for the first time, we're glad you've joined us. Dan Hilton here, and I am joined, as always, by Frances Tomas. And while there is only one match left to play for FC Barcelona this season, we have plenty to talk about. We have a packed show today, Frances. It's very exciting today. Obviously, bad news over the weekend, but uh, we're here to unpick it. Frances, we want to get right into it with our first listener question, and this one involves the prior week in La Liga. Do you want to take the honors of asking the first question? Yeah, well, basically, it's whether Barca deserve to win La Liga or not. And um, they they did, really, unfortunately. Um, Barca were horrendous um, playing against the so-called minor teams. We've got um, defeats against Alaves, Deportivo and Malaga. And uh, those nine points that slipped away cost us the title, really. Um, I know that a lot of people would argue that uh, the referee mistakes against Betis, Malaga and Villarreal uh, played a big part. But um, ultimately, I don't believe in the excuse culture that some people tend to have, particularly in Catalonia these days. And uh, although referees obviously did make mistakes and uh, they seem to be always favouring the same type of teams, which is Barca and Madrid, and in this case Madrid, um, I just don't believe that, that we can say that referees stole La Liga away from Barca. The team was just not regular enough. Uh, they played quite well against the so-called top teams, um, getting 10 wins and only four um, worst results against Athletic, Atletico, Sevilla, Valencia, Real Sociedad, Villarreal and obviously Real Madrid. But um, ultimately, we just didn't cut it when we had to and uh, the title went to Madrid fully deservedly. Yeah, and, and see, where I think it, Barcelona, of course, should have, they had the team that should have been winning uh, Liga again this year. But to me, Francis, I think it comes down to, I don't want to view Barcelona not winning La Liga and seeing that as a triumph or failure based on Real Madrid's success, we'll say, in the Champions League. As in, if Real Madrid just wins La Liga and loses the Champions League, I think Barcelona fans, of course, feel like that's more of a victory. And I don't, it's very difficult, I think, for Cools to separate the success or failures of Barcelona with the success or failures of Real Madrid. They're so loosely tied, as in, if Real Madrid wins Champions League, then Barcelona should have won the Champions League. You know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of if Real Madrid were to get the double this year, I, I think that's what makes it feel like even more of a failure 
than let's say the year that Atletico Madrid won La Liga. Yeah, and I think that um, Barca fans have to grow up in that respect. Um, there's been too many years in which Barca have been looking at what Madrid have been doing. And uh, ultimately, that's just a loser's mentality. What we need to do is concentrate on our own team. We need to make sure that um, we do our best in every competition and uh, don't worry about Madrid all the time. If we haven't messed up in their away games in both the knockout stages um, in the Champions League, we probably would still be in it. And uh, I don't really care if Madrid are winning or not. It's, I, I worry about my team and my team just didn't perform when they needed to. Yeah, I mean, I look at it and it's such a slim margin. And I think that that's the difficulty to it where when you're in the Bundesliga or you're in Serie A and you really just have Munich or Juventus, they do not necessarily coast to the title seemingly in the last five, six years, but they really do. But when it comes to Barcelona and Real Madrid, two of those other, you know, five or six elite, elite clubs in the world, it just... I think from an outsider's perspective where, again, I'm not in Spain, so I'm not part of a Liga. La Liga isn't the number one thing where I am So in, in the United States. So I'm not hearing that. Um, they, they say that the Liga is too top-heavy and this and this and this and that. But I think that adds some of the, the fight to it where you have these two elite teams that you don't see two elite teams like that in Real Madrid, in Barcelona, in other leagues. I mean, not that the Premier League is, is lesser, because the Premier League, if anything, has more depth than the Liga does as far as quality of team-by-team team basis. But as we've seen in La Liga, though, I mean, Malaga can get a result, Deportivo gets results, Santa Vigo. I, I think that people, they, they try to downplay that there is really no easy games in La Liga. They still, if you're Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Atletico, you're still getting every opponent's best effort every yeah, single game. That's right. La Liga is quite a competitive uh, competition. I would say in terms of differences between teams, probably the English Premier League is better in that respect because there's not that much of a difference. However, the difference that's in La Liga is because, as you said, the top two teams are probably the best two teams in the world in terms of budget, in terms of players. I mean, Barca... Atletico is not bad either. Atletico Madrid, uh, year after year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, Atletico, Valencia this year have been poorer, but normally Atletico, you've got Valencia, you've got even Real Sociedad sometimes, um, sort of trying to push the top teams. And uh, let's not... Bilbao. Uh, yeah, Bilbao. And let's not forget that Sevilla have been doing really well throughout the season. Obviously... Oh, two obviously, Europa Leagues over the last few years. Ultimately, what Sevilla lacked this year is depth. But if you think about January, February, there were people that were talking them up to challenge Madrid and Barca for the end of the season. So, you know, the league, the league has got two teams that obviously, I would say, are head and shoulders about the rest. And you can look at the, um, at the reasoning behind it, which is the amount of money they get from TV and the, the, the huge fan base they've got within Spain and obviously worldwide. But um, I disagree with the fact that with other people that say that La Liga is not competitive. La Liga is very competitive, but there are two teams that are far better than the others. Well, speaking of La Liga, uh, we do want to take a quick break to thank our first sponsor, and that is, of course, Fubo TV. You can head to barcelblog.com, and if you hit on that little tab that says HD Streaming, it's a link that can take you to get an exclusive discount to watch all La Liga matches for the upcoming season. That comes at a discounted price, and the best part of it is you're also helping out the show. So again, we tell you to go to Fubo TV, and the way you do that is you head to the barcelblog.com, of course, our webpage, and then you hit the HD streaming link, and then you'll get an exclusive discount 
to watch all La Liga matches. And that's in HD streaming quality on your computer. Well, question number two from the listeners today, Frances. If Barca could sign only one player, who should that be and why? And when you sent me this question, Frances, I absolutely love this question. And we actually had a laugh quickly before air because you asked me if I had Verratti, of course, the PSG midfielder, and I didn't put him on my list because I knew that you were going to put him on your list, simply because that's the guy that I think everyone is pining for. Definitely. Uh, Marco Verratti has to be uh, the number one choice for, for the sign-in this summer. Um, there's, if there is one thing that Barca's missing right now, is quality of midfield moving forward, which to be honest, it's sort of crazy to say after years of excellence with Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets uh, in the middle. However, Xavi is, as we said last week, um, earning some money in Qatar while he pretends to play some football. Um, Iniesta is, I would say, on his way out. Um, obviously, he has performed really well when he's been fit, but um, his importance within the team has decreased this year, um, particularly in the in the stretch at the end of the season. So... Yeah, we need some creativity in the middle. We need someone who can learn from Iniesta in the, I would say, two, three seasons, if that, that he's got left. And uh, Marco Verratti has all the quality. Now, he's uh, he's been a professional for many, many years. He now um, plays for Paris Saint-Germain and uh, he's key in Italy. He has gotten lots of awards throughout his career. He was identified as a youngster uh, who was one of the most promising in, in Europe. And uh, he is basically bossing the midfield um, in both the teams that, that he represents. And uh, without a doubt, at 24 years old, he's a prospect for the future that Barca should invest heavily on. So uh, the question is, if you ha- had to sign the one player, um, and I, see, I think when it comes to the one player, it has to be Verratti because of the, of the quality that he has, the potential that he has, and uh, his predisposition to learn from... Um, arguably the best attacking midfielder ever, which in my eyes is Iniesta. You see, Frances, it's hard to argue with you, and that's why I came up with six different options. Six different options. To try to combat, uh, well, (laughs) five real options, then one other option that I've come up with. um, And the number one I've come up with is, you know, not to play Real Madrid's game of signing the hottest commodity, but I think it's almost a, a addition by subtraction in that if, for, this isn't my number one player. I'll get to that in a second. But I put Kellyan Mbappe, of course, the 18-year-old French attacker on the list, simply because if Barcelona, very much I think like the Neymar signing, if Barcelona were to get his signature, that means that he's not going to any of the other top teams in the world. And I think for a guy that, I mean, 18 years old, 21 goals, 8 assists across all competitions, 15 of those coming in the French first division, for me, Mbappe, you look at the things that he does just as a youth player, even if obviously with Neymar, Messi, Suarez right now, he would still be coming off the bench. But again, Suarez is just hitting about 30 and Mbappe in a season or two could be not only taking goal scoring appearances off the Barcelona bench, he could turn that into being that number nine up top. I mean, maybe not a traditional Romelo Lukaku, number nine, you know, back to the goal kind of number nine. But between him and Messi and Neymar, that's the kind of speed and just I I couldn't imagine the runs that would be set up three or four passes before 
a goal is scored. I mean, and, and while Suarez has done his job and, again, is one of the most fantastic traditional number nines in the world, probably just behind um, Lewandowski of Bayern Munich, I, I think Mbappe is already one of those guys. Um, but Real Madrid, of course, already throwing, it looks like, 100 million euros at AS Monaco to try to secure his signature. Um, and so I, I think that could be a for Barcelona, taking away his signature from Real Madrid um, might be an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, pro- probably. Um, I would say with uh, Mbappe, I think w- if I was him, I would just stay at Monaco uh, and I would just learn my trade in there, uh, grow as a confident player and uh, try and hold on for the money for at least another season. Um, if he came to Barca, as you said, he wouldn't be starting. And uh, at this stage in his development, I think the most important thing for him is to prove himself, to establish the, the great year that he's had and uh, continue to grow. Um, having said that, I think that before he comes to Barcelona, Madrid, I think he'll have a, a stint in, in England first. Um, players like Pogba and players uh, that have moved to the Premiership have, have proven themselves. And I, I do see it as a step forward from Monaco, but... Um, I would say in order to succeed at Madrid or Barcelona, you have to have proved yourself elsewhere rather than Monaco at this, at this point. And speaking of proving elsewhere, um, my actual number one pick for this one was actually Thiago Alcantara. Right. He was my number one pick simply because I know Verratti was a good choice, but Alcantara for the first time really, he was almost completely healthy all season long playing for Bayern Munich. Nine goals, eight assists in the Bundesliga, Champions League, in the DFB Pokal. Hitting, he hit 91% of his passes, which again just tells you that he has the Barcelona DNA, a DNA because he was raised in the Barcelona system. And this year, not only was he fantastic offensively, as in spraying things forward and helping Bayern Munich go forward, but his defensive abilities this year were really what was showing out, and that shows the maturity in his game. And that's something that I guess you could credit Bayern Munich for helping him round out the defensive part of his skill set. But for me, Thiago Alcantara, I think he is exactly the player that Barcelona would love to have back, where he is truly a difference maker and a game changer with one pass in the very same way that, I mean, this year with Andres Iniesta, you see that there's that special quality that, and this is no slight on Denis Suarez, Rafina, or Andre Gomez, or even Sergio Busquets, or, or Rakitic, it's that Andre Iniesta is that guy where if he is just outside the 18, you know that you're one ball, you are one beautiful pass away from putting the ball in the back of the net. And I think Thiago Alcantara is now at that level uh, where he is one of the best attacking or I mean, attacking midfielders in the entire world, yet still somehow he has that defensibility to really help out what Bayern Munich did, whether it's for, as a deep-lying playmaker or moving forward. And speaking of moving forward, the other guy I had on my list was Paulo Dybala as being a serious contender, 18 goals, 7 assists. He's playing with Juventus this year. Barcelona fans got to see him up close in the Champions League. And while he was playing as a center forward a few times this year, I think that's where player that's where he's projected to play as he gets even older. Again, he's already in his early 20s, but he scored 10 goals this year from attacking midfield perspective. But for me, Frances, the reason he wasn't my number one, as again, fans love Dybala, think he could be the heir to Messi, as so many players have been. With Messi at his age, we see that Messi does like to slip in and play in that basically that number 10 role. Yet Dybala, if he were to join the club, would probably have to keep Messi out on the wing 
where, again, Messi, as he continues to age, is going to want to come in a little bit more and just play more centrally and not have to worry about the duties out wide. Right. Um, two points you've made in there. Um, let's start with Dybala first. Um, I would say Dybala is a player that I think sooner or later will be a Barca player. Um, I don't think it's going to be happening this season, maybe not even in two seasons' time, um, simply because we've got the, in my eyes, the best front three in the world. And uh, none of those players are going anytime soon. And uh, same reasoning I, I argued earlier for Mbappé it's, it's for Dybala. They wouldn't be starting right now. Um, obviously, they would be pushing the front three more than, say, Alcácer is doing right now. But um, I just don't see... And I don't see that the first priority for Barca this summer has to be signing a forward. Um, having Dybala would obviously improve the team, but um, the amount of money that he's, he would potentially cost the club, I don't think would be money well spent if we were only to sign one player. But um, definitely one for the future. Now, uh, in terms of Thiago, this is, quite, um, this is quite a sort of Catalan thing. We don't necessarily like players who leave us. Uh, you saw the experiment of bringing Cesc Fravegras back. And uh, bringing Cesc back really backfired because um, the fans sort of always thought, well, you were free for us. So you were one of our youth players. You decided to leave at 17. Then you cost us a lot of money and you didn't quite perform to the same, to the same standard. So players that leave are not always welcome with open arms at Barca. Now, Thiago would be one of them. Thiago, when he left us, could have very easily stayed he made use of, of a clause, a sort of hidden dark clause in his contract to leave. I believe he cost 25 million euros for uh, Bayern Munich at the time to leave when Guardiola, when Guardiola took the team. So um, I don't really necessarily think it would be a fan favourite if he came back, at least from the start. Now, I'm not going to say he's not the ideal player for Barca. Of course, he would be great. He knows the ins and outs. His brother plays for the team and uh, that would be an incentive for him to come back. But um, I, I just don't see that, that people at the Camp Nou would, would welcome, say, paying more money than when we made when he left us for a player that was initially ours. Well, moving forward, I think I can agree with all those things. That's why, again, Verratti, you only had to mention one and you had kind of won the argument and the debate because Verratti <laughs> is the guy that everybody wants. Um, I've got three more options for you, two serious ones, both of them being German. We've got two young German midfielders on my list. Joshua Kimmich, from Bayern, another Bayern Munich midfielder, he's on my list because at 21 years old, his versatility, he scored 10 goals this year, and he really was never anywhere closer to the goal than just a direct center midfield position. He didn't even play attacking midfield. He was merely a center midfielder or a, a defensive midfielder, or he played at center back or right back. And we look at the Pep Guardiola era, that kind of versatility and particularly at the level that Kimmich plays at. I mean, again, and he's the kind of guy that I think would just fit perfectly into what Barcelona are trying to do. However, with Kimmich, his style is more, it, it just, it, there, it, there is not that Barcelona flair. It has a very much German, distinct, straightforward, no-nonsense style to it, very much like a Thomas Muller. I mean, they are teammates for Bayern Munich. But for Kimmich, I think where that is positive is that I think that that German edge, that attitude that seems to be permeating through world football right now, I think that it would be an important piece. I mean, yes, he'd work well with Ter Stegen, of course, both being um, German-speaking and particularly on that back line. But 
For Kimmich, I think adding that would be a positive to the Barcelona mindset. But again, the negative would be that it could backfire and that those kind of players that don't necessarily look like they prototypically fit the Barcelona mold, they wind up oftentimes not fitting the Barcelona mold. Um, that's why the other German I have on my list is 21-year-old defensive midfield Julian Weigel of Borussia Dortmund. I mentioned him last week. He hit 90% of his passes this year. He only had one goal in the Champions League, but he dictated play, and he was the, the reason Dortmund were able to play the way they did. And you can't tell me that Dortmund didn't play with plenty of flair because Weigel really just was tidy. He did everything he had to, very unselfish, very much a Sergio Busquets type, and I think he could be, Weigel does have that Barcelona flair with his passes that I think he could be the heir apparent to Sergio Busquets eventually. Yeah, I think with German players, if um, if they've already broken into the first team in their respective clubs, then at their age, at 21, I think they should, should establish themselves there. Um, why at 21, having been given the chance to start for Bayern Munich, why would you want to leave? I just don't don't really see that happening. Now, I'm, I'm not saying they wouldn't adjust to our system, but uh, Barca, it's all about, as you sort of uh, are explaining, it's all about feeling, it's all about understanding the system, it's all about continuing. Now, as I said before, I am quite concerned when Iniesta leaves, what's going to happen? You know, who's going to take the button? Obviously, you've got Busquets, but he's more defensive. He can build, he can create, but he's the most sort of defensive out of the Chavi Iniesta, Busquets triangle that, that made us excellent and uh, beloved around the world. So I, I think someone like Verratti or someone creative along those lines is what we necessarily, what we definitely need. Now we've got Rakitic, but Rakitic has got a more sort of defensive edge to his game as well. So I think someone who can continue to be creative and continue to push forward is what we need. And uh, as for the two very talented youngsters that you mentioned from, from the German league, I would think the one that's at Bayern Munich should stay and the one in Dortmund is probably going to end up signing for Bayern Munich anyway. As most good young Dortmund players do. Well, speaking of young Dortmund players, I have my one not serious one, Frances, for you. And you, you might hear a little bit of bias in this. Um, my pick would be Christian Pulisic, um, right. and it, it, can you guess why I would pick Christian Pulisic other than I've that got, he's American? I've got, I've got no idea. <laughs> no, it's because he's it's it's because he's an American. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> an eighteen-year-old American winger. Now, obviously, from a from a serious perspective, um, I would say that it would it would be detrimental to Pulisic's career if he were to go to Barcelona at this point. Um, as most, I think, 18-year-old wingers would, particularly a guy of his ilk where he just he, he needs to become a starter for Dortmund every game, which he, he started over half the games this year for Dortmund as an 18-year-old. Again, he was a semifinalist. He had a fantastic game against Real Madrid, which endears him to Barcelona fans. Um, a wonderful assist on a goal that, um, who was it? It was, uh, it was Sherla. That's it. It was, uh, it was Sherla that scored it. Uh, against Real Madrid in the uh, group stage. So for me, Christian Pulisic, as an American, I would love to see him in a Barcelona uniform, of course. That would be the quickest jersey order I've ever made. But I think at this point, as an 18-year-old, it's just not time for him yet to make a dangerous move like that. And I think even for American fans, now not to go over on a Christian Pulisic tangent, but he's even linked to Liverpool, and I think that's not even ready for him yet. I think, as you were making mention, most players that, again, aren't necessarily already Spanish-speaking and aren't from Spain and don't necessarily even know the Barcelona system. It's dangerous for players from 18 to 22 to 24 years old to make those big jumps and have to compete for time 
with the likes of Messi and Neymar. And it, exactly. it's very detrimental to their careers. Exactly. And that's the, that's the point. It's the competing for time point that, that, that basically closes the argument. If you are going to be a starter, if you want to one point be a starter for Barca then you have to be a starter wherever you are in the world right now and uh, even if you're starting for say Liverpool or Juventus or any of the teams that we mentioned that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it at, at Barca uh, look at Arda Turan for example Arda Turan was a regular starter arguably the star in Atletico Madrid who got really far um, obviously won, winning the league and, and in the Champions League as well reaching two, reaching two finals then is not even in the question for arguably the fourth striker. So you have to be a proven star and you have to have a lot of potential and you have to have, um, as you said, a little bit of understanding of the system. And obviously, if you speak Spanish, then things become easier in order to have a chance of succeeding at Barca. Well, we do want to remind people who are enjoying the podcast, not only thank you for listening, but if you want to help out the show, you can donate on our Patreon page. Of course, there's links to that on the Barca blog website that you can see and Frances I think we'll keep it moving we've talked about players outside the club but we do want to talk about as we hinted at last week one of the players who plays for Barcelona who might not have gotten the love from the Catalan fans that he maybe should have and I think you and I I don't I think you and I might disagree on this but at least I know that I disagree with most of Barcelona fans Um, the question is has Andre Gomez really been that bad this season my answer is no, and I'll explain it, but I do want to hear what you think first. Right. My answer is yes, he has been. <laughs> he has been as bad as um, people are, are making him to have been. Um, listen, when we sign a player for 35 million euros, and then we've got another 20 million euros to go on add-ons, we're expecting a little bit more. Um, I think what's happening to Andre Gomez this season is that um, people haven't really understood the need for the signing. Uh, in the first place, he's not a typical Barca midfielder. Um, at 188 centimeters, which is six feet and two inches, he's tremendously tall. He doesn't necessarily fit the bill for what an attacking player at Barca is, attacking midfielder. Um, and uh, yeah, so he looks a little bit strange within the system. He's not your typical player. He is not a playmaker as such. He, I don't think, has the speed to to zoom down the wings if needed. Think about what Iniesta does, things about what, what Xavi used to do sort of through the middle. Um, so yeah, signing Andre Gomez was a strange choice um, to start. Now, having said that, he has been given a lot of chances. Um, he's played 46 matches at Barca this season. And uh, I think that is plenty of matches to prove his worth. Um, he scored three goals, which uh, again, for a player that has played that many matches, is not really a lot. You could argue that Iniesta doesn't score many goals either, but, you know, that's that's a different story. But I, I think he's had a lot of chances. I think Luis Enrique has proven that he believes in him from the very beginning. Um, the Camp Nou, I think, to be honest, the Camp Nou can be very cruel at times. And uh, he has been used as a scapegoat at times. But uh, I think he hasn't really helped himself with the, his attitude to chasing players when he's dispossessed tracking back, especially in the counter. So, um, yeah, a lot of player in, a lot of people in the Camp Nou are not very impressed with the player. And uh, I think the criticism is unfair in some areas, but largely deserved. So my, my thinking has always been that I don't think we should blame the player for a decision that the board makes and the way the board valued that player. So even though he'll cost a total of $55 million, 
euros. I, I don't think that you should blame Andre Gomez for the price tag that Valencia put on him and that Barcelona chose to pay. I think, yes, he needs to understand there was pressure to live up to that bill, but I, I don't think he was actually as bad as Barcelona fans may have thought. I, I think, well, there was, again, three goals, one assist. That's not really a big end product, but he did connect on 94% of his passes in the Champions League, and while he did have a bad game against Juventus, of course, in, in the first leg that we want to forget, I think he, for the rest of the other seven appearances, was pretty fantastic as far as on the ball, um, astute. And again, the important thing that I think fans want to see, and while he showcased it at the Euros, and I think that was another reason why fans would have been excited prior to him coming and playing for Barcelona, at the Euro Championships last summer, he may have had one assist and only completed 82% of his passes, but that's in a Portugal counterattacking style. He was very tidy and intelligent with the ball. Um, and more importantly, he made 1.6 key passes. And I know this is advanced statistics, and most Barcelona fans just want to see the eye test and say, oh, I, I think that player looks good or doesn't look good. Well, he had 1.6 key passes per games in the Euro, and which means that just tells me that per game he is affecting the game, that he is leading to things when he plays for Portugal. But for Barcelona this past year, he had 0.35 which just is not a very good number and a very good statistic. So I think he could be another one of those players that takes at least a year to get used to the Barcelona system. And so I think that while year one may have been a disappointment, I don't say sell him, I don't say give up on him, because I think that most players, particularly those in their early 20s, yes, he's 23, but I think he's still developing as a player. And I think a year through the Barcelona system, we need to give him another season just to get used to what's going on. And even for Valencia, he was never a game changer for Valencia. He had one goal and two more assists than he had this past year. So four goals and four assists in 2015-16 for Valencia and about 600 more minutes of action. So if anything, his statistics were pretty much on par per minute with what he had at Valencia. And so for Barcelona fans to expect much more offensively, his job is to be tidy, is to stop counterattacking in the modern football game and just to learn the system and to make sure that he gets the ball out to the wing and the playmakers. And I think he did that well enough for year one. He just needs to do better in year two. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I get your point about um, the impact moving forward and, and the fact that I wouldn't sell him either. Uh, I think he's got a lot of potential and having given him 46 stars this season, then, well, stars played, uh, games played this season, then moving forward, he has to stay because otherwise you just wasted your time. You may as well have given all of that playing time to Denis Suarez and uh, Rafinha had he not been, been injured at, at stages. But uh, no, I think he's a player for the future. Uh, but if we analyze season one, I, I for one was disappointed, not throughout the whole season, but at particular key moments. I thought that, yeah, obviously the price tag is not his fault. The fact that, they, that Luis Enrique is playing him in, at key matches is not his fault either. But um, I thought I expected more in terms of willingness um, and in terms of, of chasing and in terms of giving the team what Rakitic gave the team last year. He's been poorer this year, which is why Andre Gomez has, has played a little bit more. But um, I think, and another point you made, I also agree, is the fact that playing at Barca is not easy. Um, my, my brother used to play for Barca when he was little in the under-13s. He was actually teammates with Andres Iniesta. And um, at the time, even though they were really young, all the Barca academy played the same way. And um, the, the, the key players at the time 
could do something which is not alienate the others but looking for each other the whole time so if you look at how the Barca first team plays right now you've got Messi constantly looking for Neymar constantly looking for Suarez you've got Iniesta who everyone looks for you've got Busquets who everyone looks for but then there's the, the other midfielder normally on the right side, which is normally Rakitic, this season has been shared between mainly Andre Gomez and Rakitic himself, but also Rafinha and even Arda Turan at times. And that that is the one position, I think, from Busquets forward that um, people in the team don't necessarily look for all the time. So unless you make yourself visible, unless you offer the pass, unless you open up wide, unless you call for the ball, then they're not going to really see you. Because it's the, the automatic pass for Andres Iniesta is either moving to Messi centrally, moving back, or passing it back to say Busquets, or having normally would be Jordi Alba zooming on your left. The the, the the pass across the parallel pass to the left to to the left to say Rakitic or Andre Gomez is not the first option in Iniesta's head. So in order to to, to have a real impact, you need to offer yourself more, you need to make yourself visible and demand that pass. And I think that's something that Andre Gomez hasn't done so far. Having said that, can he do that moving forward? Um, I've got faith that the, the, the staff has seen something in him that the fans probably haven't seen in the first year. But uh, moving forward, I would keep him, give him another year and then see where we are at the end of um, and the summer of 2018. So I think you and I, while we disagree on how Andre Gomez was successful this past season. I think we both agree that, again, um, he is, his career is not yet pinned to failure at Barcelona, but maybe another year's time, it, it, it may be time to move on from the player. Yeah, and uh, see, see what he does next season. Next season has to be make a break for him, for Andre Gomez, but obviously for Rafinha, Turan, I mean Arda Turan, and uh, other players whose future, I would say, will be in the balance this summer. Well, speaking of things that Barcelona fans probably didn't like, um, this one is a recent one in question number four, and it is how much stock do you put in Sergio Ramos and company? And they're singing spitefully, particularly about Gerard Piquet and about that rivalry. And Francis, I think you and I also disagree about this one as well. Do we? Well, I, 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 I don't know. Um, well, so, so I don't think I, so I would say that both of us really don't like it. I, I think for me, I, I think that, if you're celebrating a trophy, then you don't need to bring up your opponents. I think, for me, if anything, right. I, I think it's flattering. For me, I think it'd be flattering for PK to hear his name being chanted through the streets of Madrid um, after Real Madrid won the trophy, simply because it means so much to them to, to, to defeat their opponents. And to, for PK, I think it's what we had talked about, where if you're a Barcelona player and you're a Barcelona fan, it's, it should be more about you. It's, it shouldn't be about Real Madrid. It shouldn't be about we won and Real Madrid didn't. It should just be Barcelona won. And so I think for Real Madrid to be, to be singing about PK, that tells Barcelona that it means so much to Real Madrid that Barcelona didn't win, that they're almost not celebrating having won it on their own. You know? Yeah, I mean, the story here is that um, Madrid players obviously won the league yesterday, which it doesn't sit very well with, with my stomach, but, you know, we're going to move forward with that. Um, they went to La Cibeles, which is the, one of the main squares in Madrid, the, the square in which traditionally uh, Los Blancos fans just um, go and celebrate and, and, and they chant to, to their own advantage, if you want to call it that. Um, however, they decided to insult Piquet. And they said, Madrid, um, Piqué, cabrón, saluda al campeón, which means um, Gerard Piqué, 
say hi to the champions or salute the champions. Now, uh, to be honest, I understand why they've done it. Like, Piqué has been tweeting, talking, and uh, being a nuisance for, for Madrid the whole season. Uh, I think, you know, Piqué is a very clever man. Um, I don't think we can over, overlook the fact that Piqué has a video games company. He's got a media company. So all of the tweeting and all of the media controversy that he brings, I think it's a very well-studied plan uh, for his own benefit. Um, branding and uh, the fact that if you are doing that thing, those sort of things in front of the media, then the Barca fans are going to love you more, which, you know, I think we need someone like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going that should be a player. I think that should be either the chairman or someone in the board. Now, would Piqué be annoyed because Ramos insulted him in front of the Madrid fan base? Not really. I think he probably expected that to happen. Uh, I, th I think we should forget that um, Samuel Eto'o in 2005 did the same thing the other way around. So Madrid cabron. And everyone in Catalonia thought it was really funny. Uh, me included, I thought it was hilarious. So I think the relationship between Barca and Madrid is based on historical differences, political differences, and uh, it's point-blank hate between the two cities, between the two matches, uh, the two teams, sorry. And uh, whenever we play a match, that, that's, that's visible on the pitch. Now, them celebrating insulting Barca players, fair enough. Uh, in my eyes, they can do what they want. We don't necessarily care. All we should care, all we should care about is the fact that we didn't win and um, that we should, we should have been better against minor teams, as, as I said earlier in the podcast. If they want to celebrate by insulting us, then that shows they keep thinking about us the whole time. And uh, as I mentioned earlier as well, minor teams think about their rivals when they're celebrating and when they're winning and when they're losing. So I think every team should worry about themselves. If someone like Ramos wants to insult Piquet or Barca in general, then so be it. Yeah, to me, Francis, this story, uh, as soon as I heard it, to me, it was, it was old news. It, it, it was over. It's done with now. The celebration is finished. And for Barcelona, it's on to the 2017-2018 season. And that's why you and I are sitting here talking about the transfer window and things like that. I think, you know, the story's over. And uh, next, on to next season. And speaking of next season... Uh, we again want to thank our sponsor, Fubo TV, where you head to barcelblog.com, you hit that little HD streaming link, and you get an exclusive discount to not only watch all the Liga matches at a discounted price, but you're going to be helping us out and can, helping us continue to make new shows and come up with new ideas and create new content. And um, Going to Fubo TV is a good way to do that, and you do that through our website on barcelblog.com. Of course, and you, you get to see... Again, not only the Valencia Villarreal's of the day, but you also get to see El Clasico. That's the easiest way, if anything, Frances, for those in the States or those uh, in Europe to who don't necessarily have the channels on cable or things like that where you would normally get El Clasico. Fubo TV is the best way to get El Clasico. And I think at that discounted price, Frances to get at least two El Clasicos a year, and usually with the Copa del Rey, it's usually more, and even the Champions League is a possibility, it's usually worth it. Yeah, and uh, I, I have to admit, I live in London, and I have been living in London for 15 years now, and uh, obviously I keep in contact with my Barca family through the internet and Skype and, and, and bits like that. But um, I actually watched La Liga and Champions League through the link that I've got from Football TV. Uh, being sports, you've got obviously the English channel, but um, if you're Spanish-speaking, like I am, 
you can also watch Sky's, uh, sorry, B in Sports Enye, which is the N with a little Spanish hat on top. And um, yeah, it's HD quality. Uh, commentators really do know what they're talking about, which to be honest is rare these days in this day and age. And uh, yeah, I think if you can support our show, then then go for it. But even if you did it just because you want to watch the best stream available, then it is the right way to go. Plus, we've got a discount exclusive for basketball players, uh, basketball listeners, sorry. And uh, I think last time I checked, it was six ninety nine. When actually it can cost up to sixteen ninety nine without the link. So it definitely is the right thing to do. And uh, I personally have done it, and I've used the link for I think it's three seasons now. So uh, yeah, head over and uh, help us out. Well, one of the things that those who get the Barcelona, I mean the Fubo TV link um, and want to watch Barcelona games can see is our fifth question, and they usually see a Brazilian. And so the question that I'm asking, Frances, and question number five as our, as our show is almost ready to wrap up, who is the best Brazilian player in Barca history? And I think there's eight clear choices. There have been a few more who've played minor roles and played less than 100 matches, but by and large there are eight players that stand out to me. And while I think there are easy choices and um, not so easy choices, I think you and I have debated that it's pretty much come down to Ronaldinho and Danny Alves. Yes, I think Rivaldo has a shot as well. Um, I'm going to start with Rivaldo then. I thought Rivaldo was impressive in in the season that he spent at Barca. He was with us for, I think it was six seasons from 96. 97 through 02, yeah. Yeah, 97 to 02. Uh, made 157 appearances, scored 86 goals, some of them really important in the Champions League. Now, I have picked Rivaldo because I thought that obviously Ronaldinho is the obvious choice. But uh, Rivaldo held, held the club during a, te- during a time in which Barca was pretty much going nowhere. Uh, we had finished the very successful Johan Cruyff era, although the last couple of years were, were dodgy. Um, we had had Sir Robert Robson, uh, Bobby Robson, rather, um, in charge of the team. And uh, although we were successful and we had Brazilian Ronaldo in there, which probably, had he stayed longer, would be a contender for this list. And um, so we had a lot, of, a lot of money and it had to be spent somewhere. Rivaldo was excelling at Deportivo at the time and uh, he was signed and he made an instant impact. He lifted that team. Obviously, Luis Enrique was part of that team. And um, thinking back, it was the Dutch era. So we had Van Gaal as, as the manager. We had um, uh, Philippe Cocu. We had Reisiger. We had the De Boer brothers um, as part of the team. And uh, although it was a team that was quite strong and uh, made the Champions League semifinals, um, I think it was in 2002, then Rivaldo was... Th- was the player that really stood out. He was the one that took responsibility when it really mattered. And um, I think Rivaldo should be considered in the question of the best Brazilian ever. Although Ronaldinho, I think, because of what he meant for the club, should be number one. But I wanted to mention Rivaldo because of his impact. Yeah, I think that's the difference. Where um, Rivaldo, 86 goals is the most that a Brazilian player scored for Barcelona. And the Real Rivaldo and Ronaldinho, they both won the Ballon d'Or. And again, so proving themselves to be, for at least a season, the best player um, in the world. And Ronaldinho, 145 appearances for him, 70 goals. But you also talk about what he meant for the club. And he really did. He was that spark plug. I mean, for me in the United States, Barcelona, you know, when I was 
um, younger. It was just a, another club in the world. But then Ronaldinho comes and Pepe Guardiola and, and excuse me, Pepe, Pep Guardiola and Lionel Messi follow, and really that the trio that chain almost a chain of events that led Barcelona to where they are today. And Ronaldinho, I think, from a global perspective, was what sparked all that. So what just what he meant in his and he only played six seasons as well, oh three to oh eight. Um and so he did make less appearances than Rivaldo. He had less goals, um, but he did he did win the Ballon d'Or. And just what he could do with the ball, it's just what he did was make Barcelona must-watch TV, even when he wasn't scoring goals. Just his tricks and bringing that Hugo Benito to Barcelona, to the Camp Nou, was just so important. And the other guy, as we had talked about, the guy with the most appearances, Danny Alves, for from 2008 to 2016, 247 appearances, so almost 250 appearances, which would be about 100 more than anybody else. Uh, he only had 14 goals, but again, you look at this season, and again, not a slight on Sergio Roberto, but you look at what Barcelona is on the right side without Danny Alves, and you clearly see that something is missing this season. Um, and I think at the beginning, I wasn't the biggest Danny Alves fan, but by the end of his time at Barcelona, even I had recognized that, I mean, he was so important at allowing Barcelona to play their style. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think with with the Ronaldinho argument, Ronaldinho brought the smile and the confidence back to the Camp Nou. Um, we can't forget that couple of years earlier or throughout the f- I think it was the f- five years prior to Ronaldinho's arrival Real Madrid had been pretty much excellent they had the Galacticos and uh, the Barcelona morale was was down really and uh, Ronaldinho was the first sort of big huge superstar at his peak that chose to come to Barca for a very long time and uh, I think that although his first season um, no titles were achieved he he got that belief back in the players. Um, he was top class and uh, he really pushed everyone else on. I think without Ronaldinho, there wouldn't have been any Messi in the capacity that, that, that we know him today. Uh, I think his mentoring to Messi was, was world class. I think Xavi stepped up his game and got bits of Ronaldinho in his own game. Andres Iniesta, I think it's a product of Ronaldinho's influence. Um, so yeah, I think Ronaldinho was, was very influential and uh, I would say one of the most important figures in, in recent Barca history. Then, I'm not going to mention for too long, but then he let himself go, didn't he? And uh, he started partying a little bit too much. He started coming late for training. And uh, that's why he had to go. But uh, I think Ronaldinho, what, what myself and obviously the Coulé fan base uh, keep is all of that energy, all of that belief, all of that euphoria that he brought back to the Catalan capital. And uh, we're really we're really grateful now and we'll be forever grateful for what he did for the club. Now, in terms of titles, I think Dani Alves has a very strong case to be the best Brazilian in Barca history simply because he helped us to so many titles. He was a very successful player before getting to us. He had won with Bahia, three titles. He won with Sevilla, five titles, including two UEFA Cups. Uh, Barca... I can't even count this in front of me, but there's so many to count. I think it's around 22, 23, uh, including three Champions Leagues and one, two, three, six leagues. And uh, he has to be in, in the argument for best Brazilian ever to play at the Camp Nou. Um, obviously not an attacking player, in uh, not, a, not a forward, but an attacking player in terms of freedom, in terms of willingness, in terms to 
in terms of co cooperative play. Um, Dani Alves remains the player that has given more goal assists to Messi uh, throughout Messi's career, which is one that um, Alves has joked is one of his most precious trophies, if you want to call it that. And uh, yeah, Dani Alves was, was outstanding. Then this season, I'm going to be honest, I am surprised that he's performing at the level that he has been in Juventus uh, because I thought his last season with Barca was relatively poor. Uh, I think that um, he wasn't getting on with the ball too much and uh, he had that that attitude towards the game and the board and the environment was sort of polluting his game. So uh, I have to admit that when he left on a free, I thought obviously free is too cheap to sell him on. But um, I thought that had they gotten five or six, seven million euros for him, I would have been I would have been happy with that. Now I am delighted he's um, done so well for Juventus, but I am slightly surprised that he has. Well, Francis, I, I think to go back to Ronaldinho real quick, that ovation at the Bernabeu. Um, for me, is a top Barcelona memory, and I think for me, endeared Ronaldinho forever. Um, and, and to your point for Danny Alves, I agree. I mean, I think while remembering his last season where he just didn't seem to, yeah, he just he, he just didn't seem to have all the skills he had had before. He just seemed to be slowing down. And while I, I don't want to necessarily remember those things as poor as the same thing with Ronaldinho, honestly. You know, their last few seasons before they they left just weren't the same as right in the middle of their Barcelona career, but we can't forget the sheer amount of winning um, and the sheer amount of success that they had at their peak when they were in a Blagrana uniform. Um, yeah, just two of the all-time best. And I, I think one guy, of course, everyone's like, well, what about Neymar? What about Neymar? Well, Neymar's already made over 100 appearances for the club, uh, 61 goals, but I think most fans would say that they hope that Neymar winds up being the number one when all is said and done, simply because, again, while... You you can look outside the club. You'd have to say that the heir the heir apparent to Messi is Neymar. So for Neymar, you know that he most likely will wind up. You know if he continues to stay at the clip he is, he'll wind up being the number one goal scorer for all Brazilians playing for the club. Um, and he's still you know in his early twenties. So Neymar still has plenty of time left to play in a Barcelona uniform. Yeah, I think Neymar wasn't even a thought for me when I was looking at the best Brazilian to ever play for Barca because for me, Neymar is, is nowhere near the end of his career. He's, what he has achieved so far, I think, and I hope, is going to be a tiny portion of, of what he will eventually achieve. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's playing alongside the best, in my eyes, the best two strikers, forwards, whatever you want to call it, in the world, even playmaker in terms of Messi. He's got Suarez alongside him. He's got a really strong team behind him and uh, he's got a lot more to give than, than he has given so far. So uh, in my eyes, Neymar's journey is nowhere near finished, so he shouldn't be in the conversation for this. Now, going back to the very beginning, the reason for, for me asking this question today is that last week when we did the worst 11, <laughs> we didn't necessarily uh, leave Brazil in a very good position because we were talking about um, Enrique, we are talking about Keirison, we were talking about um, Douglas, who actually scored a goal for Sporting Gijón this week, I don't know. It's despite us. I know, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. So uh, yeah, I think the relationship between Barca and Brazil has been there for many years and uh, I didn't want to leave it with uh, Douglas being the one Brazilian that we talk about in the podcast uh, because there have been so many other brilliant Brazilians that have made a difference um, in the club's past, present and future. 
And there was a little of a gap, too, for um, Brazilian players making an impact at Barcelona. Um, you look back at, you know, the late 50s, early 60s, and Evaristo de Maceda, he was, you know, one of those guys in what you'd say is one of Barcelona's better groups of seasons. You know, it's coming off the 50s where Los Blancos just dominated the 50s, and right at the start of the 60s when Barcelona had a few winning seasons, um, Macedo, 114 appearances in those six seasons, 78 goals, which is a better um, per goal, per game, excuse me, per goal per game percentage than, than Neymar has had so far. Um, and he was kind of the pioneer as far as successful Brazilians. Um, and I think any Brazilian list for Barcelona can't have him not on it. And then you look at when Brazilians started coming back to Barcelona, and that starts with Romario, of course, being part of those dream teams from 93 to 95. 46 appearances, 34 goals. Now, that's not a lot, 46 appearances, but yet, you know, 34 goals in that time. That means he only had 12 appearances where he didn't score a goal in a Barcelona, yeah. you know, well, per goal, per game. Of course, he had multiple goals in certain games. And then, not only that, but he's replaced by Ronaldo, who, again, most fans don't think of him too kindly simply because of, you know, the whole Real Madrid thing. But for Ronaldo, and that's the first Ronaldo, 37 appearances, 34 goals for Barcelona. It's just how good could Ronaldo have been if he had stayed with Barcelona? He would have he would have been brilliant. But uh, then again, he didn't. He went to Madrid. So we don't really want to talk about him too much. And then the other, the, the, the final player I'll, I'll bring up on this list of successful Brazilian players is Adriano, of course. 114 appearances. He only had nine goals. But in 114 appearances, Adriano played on the left side, at the back, on the right side, at the back. He really just was exactly what a winning team needs, a team that wins a treble needs, and he's a guy that could be plugged into the lineup, and you don't really lose that much quality, and he was unselfish enough not to need to be a starter, but he was always seemingly pushing Jordi Alba and pushing Eric Abidal to be that starter, but again, Adriano was just a really good servant for the club, and he's the kind of player that, a utility man, if you will, that helps a winning club. Yeah, Adriano was a fantastic player for us uh, because of the reasons that you listed. He was always willing to take a step back. He was always willing to take, um, you know, to leave Alves and, and the rest of, of, of the starting uh, fullbacks in that respect. Um, take, take the credit. And uh, he was always ready for his chance. He was a team player and we will be forever grateful for that. Um, I don't think injuries really respected him. And uh, he would have been even more important had he not been constantly injured, particularly in his last two, three seasons. But uh, Adriano was successful with Sevilla before getting to us. And uh, he was a very, very useful player that made an impact. Well, there you have it. Those are our picks for the best Brazilian player in Barcelona history. Uh, pretty good list, though, Frances. Yeah, yeah. You're very good at uh, listing players that people wouldn't necessarily think. So I think we may keep you for the third episode, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, Frances. <laughs> but you know what? That's the thing, though. If uh, A good way to keep me around, at least, is if uh, everybody just wants to head over to our Patreon page. You can donate to help the show on Barca Blog. And that's, again, on our Patreon page. Again, help us making these shows, helping us to make content. Uh, and remember, you can also follow the show at Facebook.com backslash Barca blog and YouTube.com slash Barca blog. Again, those are different ways for you to get involved. Again, we love your questions, your content, your questions help us move the show forward and give us plenty to talk about each week. Yeah, definitely. This, this show obviously is made by, by us, but 
if we're the only ones listening to it, then it would be a really boring and really sad state of affairs. Um, we need people to participate. Comments, you know, if you can donate, brilliant. If you cannot, just leave the comments. Just show us that, that you're listening. Just show us that you're interested. Um, go ahead, disagree with us. You know, we disagree with each other. So having more people disagree with that, it's not going to be a problem. Um, our Facebook page is getting more and more engaging, um, over, particularly over the last month. Uh, obviously, we've got 700,000 followers, but um, more important than the number of followers is the people that are engaging, interacting. So um, if you are leaving comments and you are engaging, then obviously we're very grateful to you. If you are not, this is your challenge. That's what you need to be doing because we want to continue to grow with you and you're the one that makes the difference. So if you are doing it, thank you. And if you're not, I don't know what you're waiting for. Well, that'll about wrap it up. And uh, Frances, as we've agreed to kind of say as... Show as each show is now going to end. Uh, I'll say Forza Barca, Frances. Forza.